neighbor, and welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 14, and we hope and pray that it'll be a blessing to you. chapter of the book of Revelation tonight. If you have your Bibles and would like to turn there with us, you can follow along in our study. Tonight, Revelation chapter 14. Hold your finger there and go to Exodus chapter 40. And if you'll once you find Exodus 40, go to Matthew 13. Those are the main three passages of which we'll be looking at. And of course, I may tell you to go somewhere else, but those are some of the scriptures we'll be looking at tonight. Revelation 14, Exodus 40, and Matthew chapter 13. But we'll begin, first of all, tonight in Revelation 14 and verse 14. John said, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, the phrase Son of Man is a title uh, used to refer to Christ when he was in human form. And the reason that Jesus took on human form was to die on the cross. God, as God, cannot die. So God had to take on the form of human flesh. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh and became a man. And uh, he lived in this world, lived a perfect life. And uh, that's the reason why this term, Son of Man, is used to refer to Christ. Now, 84 times in the Gospels that term or that phrase is used, of Christ. Eighty-four times in the Gospels you'll find it, and twenty-one of those times it is used of Christ as it pertains to the second coming. And uh, that's what all of this of which we're going to look at tonight is leading up to, the second coming of Christ. Now, the Lord is sitting here on a white cloud. Now, white speaks of purity, righteousness and holiness and God is holy he's always been holy and he'll always be holy he's always done that which is right I was uh, listening to a preacher on the radio the other day and he was talking about how we need to forgive God I'm like really we need to forgive God and he's coming from uh, the world of psychology, by and large. 
Uh, his whole message was come from that. And um, he had a few scriptures thrown in here and there. But let me tell you something, folks. You're not going to find anything in the Word of God about forgiving God. I mean, you, you will find stuff in the Bible about God forgiving us, but not us forgiving God. God's not done anything wrong to us. If anything, he's done that which is right to us. And uh, we may think God's done us wrong, but he's uh, given us what we deserve <laughs> in, some, in some situations. But at any rate, God's never done anything wrong. He's, he's righteous and he's holy. And like I said, you will find scriptures saying that we have done God wrong. And we're the ones that need to ask him for forgiveness. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible also says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, now, uh, he's sitting on a white cloud. Now, that cloud speaks of glory. If you will, look at Exodus 40. Move down, if you will, to verse 34. And don't lose your place there in Revelation 14 because we'll be going back to it. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. Now, just as... The children of Israel followed that cloud wherever it went. We're to follow the leading of the Lord. That's a perfect example of what we should be doing. If, we're, if we don't follow the Lord as we should, then we fall short of his glory. Just as that cloud represents his glory. If you don't follow the Lord, you're going to be falling short of his glory. Amen. So we need to be following as close to the Lord as we can. All right. Um, going back to Revelation 14 and 14. Um, the Bible says that he had on his head a golden crown. Now, the word for crown here is Stephanos, and it means a crown of victory. Although God became a man and died, it didn't stop there because he arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Amen? And the first time that Jesus came, he wore a crown of thorns. But the second time he comes... He'll be wearing this golden crown of victory. And his coming is not too far off. Now, what we're going to be looking at tonight is leading up to the second coming of Christ. Don't get the rapture 
of the church and the second coming confused. They're two totally different events. They are at least seven years apart from each other. At the rapture of the church, the Lord will come in the air, somewhere around 10,000 feet of the earth, and catch away all the saints of God. For the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be called up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is the rapture of the church. But at the second coming, Jesus will actually set his feet on the Mount of Olivet. He will touch the earth at the second coming. And and like I said, what we're talking about here tonight is referring to the second coming of Christ, which will take place at the Battle of Armageddon. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. All right, he had a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, the sickle is an old farming tool used for harvesting. If you will, go to Matthew chapter 13. Jesus gave us the parable of the tares and the wheat. Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to pick it up in verse 24. Matthew 13, 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed Good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blades were sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto him, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. If you will, move down to verse 36. And Jesus will give us the interpretation of this parable. Matthew thirteen thirty-six. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto him, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Notice that phrase, Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. Notice the next phrase, The harvest is the end of the world. Now, the word world there would have been better translated age because the world is not going to come to an end as you normally would think of such. This world is eternal. It's not going to be destroyed. Uh, But this age will come to an end. And uh, Jesus is talking about a harvest that's going to come at the end of this age at the end of 
this particular time that we're living in. All right. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world or the end of this age. The Son of Man, again we have that phrase, Son of Man, shall send forth his angels. Now the past couple of weeks in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, we have seen uh, three angels, or John saw three angels, the first came preaching the everlasting gospel, preaching it all over the world. No doubt television can't, uh, cameras will capture this and broadcast his message all over the world. And like I said, uh, some Bible commentators seem to think that his uh, ministry will last for the latter half of the tribulation period, three and a half years. Uh, the second angel that John saw flying in the heavens and evidently the evidence is that men will see them. So, at any rate, the second angel comes proclaiming that Babylon will fall. That is his message. The third angel comes, and uh, he's warning men about taking the mark. Now, these three angels have a message warning men. First of all, the gospel is preached. Secondly, uh, warning them about Babylon is going to fall, and then also warning them about taking the mark of the beast. In all of these messages, uh, God is sending a warning to mankind. You need to come out from among these things and be separate because judgment is coming, and that's what God is saying. Uh, this is God's way of separating the tares from the wheat. The message is preached, the person makes a decision as to whether they're going to follow the leading of the Lord or whether they're going to continue living in sin and whatever it is they're doing. All right, if you will look at verse 41 of Matthew 13. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of the kingdom all the things that offend, and them which do iniquity. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There's going to be a great gathering together of the tares, all of them that do iniquity, which is the Antichrist and all of those who follow him. And they're going to be gathered together in a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And that is what the remainder of chapter 14 in the book of Revelation is talking about. The battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. Alright, if you will go back to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to pick it up with verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time is come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. All right, if you will, uh, flip over to Joel chapter 3. Joel used 
some of the same terminology in his prophecy. Joel chapter 3. Move down, if you will, to verse 12. Joel 3 and verse 12. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, the valley of Jehoshaphat is also known as the valley of Megiddo or Armageddon. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. These verses that we've just read in Revelation 14, verses 15 and 16, along with Joel 3, verses 12 through 16, has to do with the battle of Armageddon, which takes place at the end of the Great Tribulation period. Now, the things that we're reading about here are things that are happening in the spirit world. They happen about three and a half years before the battle commences. What we're reading and seeing here in Revelation 14 are things that are taking place in the spirit world three and a half years before it actually manifests itself here on earth. Now, my point is this. I think God has always worked this way. Nothing catches God by surprise. He knows the beginning. He knows the ending. He knows everything in between. And God is an on-time God. Amen. He's never too late. He knows what's going to take place. And God decrees that certain things take place in heaven before it manifests itself on earth. But here we see a decree being made. But it's three and a half years before anything happens here on the earth. And my point is this. I think God has decreed certain things to take place within our lives. Good things. Amen. God's got good things for us. He's decreed some good things. But we don't see them right away. Sometimes it takes time. In this case here, about three and a half years before it takes place. And I believe we're going to see some good things. But we've got to be patient. We've got to be patient in the faith and just keep holding, holding on, which uh, that can be a hard thing. Uh, to have patience and hold on and just believe God and trust God and just keep on keeping on. Amen. So the Lord, like I said, he decrees that certain things take place, but it may take a while before you see it happen uh, here in this world. All right. Jesus said, at the end of this age, I will send forth the angels to reap. He said that in Matthew 13. We just read about it. All right, let's take a look at them here in Revelation 14 and verse 17. 
the angels that Jesus was talking about in the parable of the tares and the wheat. Revelation 14, verse 17, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire. And cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Okay, the first thing we want to take a look at here is the altar in which this angel uh, came out of. This is the brazen altar, the one that's here on earth. Uh, was patterned after the one that's in heaven. It was the place where the sacrifices were offered up all during Old Testament times. And that brazen altar is a type of the cross. It's where the sin offering was burnt. Now, these sacrifices were burnt. And that burning of the sacrifice is a type of the judgment of God upon sin. And this angel here, coming out from the altar, has the power over fire. Notice that. Now, some Bible commentators seem to think that perhaps this angel is the angel that sent fire down out of heaven that day when Elijah stood there before all the prophets of Baal. Remember that? He said, how long halt ye between two opinions? Let the God that be God, the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And they went off over there and they cut themselves and then all they're jumping around and whatever the case and no fire. And then Elijah went over there and offered up his offering and the fire fell and consumed the sacrifice and, and the whole nine yards there. So the, the thinking is that this angel... Uh, that's in charge of the fire in heaven at the brazen altar is the one that sent that fire down out of heaven and consumed the sacrifice in Elijah's day. And some seem to think that this is going to be the angel that sends down the great hailstones of fire and brimstone upon the Antichrist and his armies at the battle of Armageddon. And you can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 38. Somewhere around verse 22, uh, somewhere around there, you'll see that. And my point is this, the fire of judgment is going to fall upon sin. It's going to fall upon the sacrifice, or it's either going to fall on the person that rejects the sacrifice. Now, let's take a look in verse 18 at that phrase where it says, the clusters of the vine of the earth. Let's read it there, verse 18, Revelation 14, verse 18. Another angel came out from the altar which had the power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The clusters of the vine of the earth are all the evil men in all the nations of the earth that have sided with the Antichrist. 
And let me say this about that. Any person that rejects Jesus Christ is automatically on the side of the Antichrist. Uh, you say, well, Brother James, they're a good person. They just don't come to church. And, well, I've just never seen them, you know, get saved in whatever the case. I'm telling you like it is. If they've not accepted Christ as their Savior, they're Antichrist. They have sided with the Antichrist. No, they've not verbally made a decision and said, I'm following the Antichrist. But Jesus said, if you're not for me, then you are against me. And if you're not for Christ, then you are anti-Christ. And there's coming a day when all of those that reject Christ are going to be gathered together. And the time that they're going to be gathered together is going to be right here at the Battle of Armageddon. All right, verse 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. This gathering together ties in with Revelation 16. If you'll flip over there right quick, we'll take a look at those verses. Revelation 16. Look at verse 12. Revelation 16 and verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up. Notice this phrase, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Here we have this gathering together of all of those that have sided with the Antichrist, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon is symbolic of Satan. Out of the mouth of the beast, that is the first beast that we took a look at uh, here some few weeks ago, that's the Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirit of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Notice the next phrase, to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Jesus said, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So all that we see taking place in these verses here, Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20, is, these are events that are taking place in the spirit world, setting the stage for the battle of Armageddon, which is going to be about three and a half years later. Now, the Battle of Armageddon is also called the Great Wine Press of the Wrath of God. And here's the reason why. If you look at verse 20, Revelation 14 and verse 20. And the wine press was trodden without the city. And the blood came out of the wine press even unto the horses' bridles. By the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. 
at the end of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to gather all of his armies from all over the world. And he's going to set out to do what Herod, Haman, and Hitler tried to do. And that is to completely destroy the Jews. There is no evidence here that anyone will come to rescue Israel at that time. Wherever the United States be at that time, I do not know. The Bible does not say. But there is no mention of any nations at this time siding with or helping Israel. And the Antichrist is going to gather all of his armies and they're going to be heading toward the city of Jerusalem to destroy every Jew he can get his hands on. But about that time is when Jesus is going to come back riding a white horse. And he's going to fight like he did in the days of battle. He's pictured with a sharp sword coming out of his mouth. He's simply going to speak a word and the men of that army will die. Uh, one of the prophecies state that their eyes will consume away in their sockets. Their flesh will melt off of their bones and turn to mush before their bones even hit the ground. And that's one of the prophecies that we'll take a look at here as it pertains to the Battle of Armageddon. Um, so many men will die that the blood will flow up to the horse's bridles. That's about six feet deep. And we see the space of 1,600 furlongs. That's anywhere from 175 to 200 miles. So the blood of these men in this battle is going to flow six feet deep at the deepest point uh, up to 175 to 200 miles. Now that's a lot of blood. At the same time here at the Battle of Armageddon, uh, there will be rain hailstones and fire and and brimstone so not all of that will be blood it'll be a combination of water mixed with blood but at any rate that's a lot of blood to flow up to 175 to 200 miles six foot deep and uh, when this takes place the bible talks about and like i said we'll take a look at these scriptures a little bit later on it's going to take seven months to bury all the dead at the Battle of Armageddon. And it's going to take up to seven years just to clean up and destroy all the weapons that they bring there to that battle, the Battle of Armageddon. And we're going to just stop right there tonight and we're going to take a, a little more in-depth look at this Battle of Armageddon a little bit later on. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.